Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you've found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lightning Insider Podcast. I am Eric Rollinson, your host from lightninginsider.com. And not a whole lot going on in the NHL and the world of hockey right now, but uh, hopefully that's going to change very, very soon. There's been some news, some encouraging signs of some potential news coming down the line. And honestly, we're kind of getting close to crunch time for anything that's going to have to be done to make sure that there is a 2021 season for the NHL. Uh, also going to talk a little bit about Jerome McGinley, the Hall of Fame interview that he had in Boston, which I found kind of humorous and a little funny. Um, also got some information on a book signing that I'm going to do for the book, Lightning Strikes. We'll have some on hand for people to buy. and makes a good Christmas present, and uh, I'll give you some information and some details on that. But to help me get through this show today, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to bring back my good friend, my co-host during the early days of the pandemic, my partner at Lightning Power Play, host of the pregame show, postgame show, intermission, and Lightning Power Play Live, the one, the only, Greg Lanelli. Greg, thanks for joining me. How are you, my friend? What an introduction. You, you made me honored, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I pre- it's great hearing you. And uh, first off, congrats on the book. Thank that you. is tremendous and uh, well-deserved, and I hope people get out there and get your John Hancock, and that'll be a lot of fun, and uh, mingle with uh, the fan base, which is always a big deal, and, um, you know, I don't think you'll Jerome Ginla anybody, sure. <laughs> you know, I saw that I saw that the other day, and I was, I was looking at it, and then, then, of course, a lot of people, at least the tweet that I saw, then, of course, people chimed in with, other times that has happened when somebody in the media, obviously in the news department, is interviewing an athlete and they don't know it's an athlete. And uh, <laughs> there were several of those. And I, I thought that was that was pretty good. But to your point, we talked about this off the air. Jerome McGinley, you know, was really good about it. You know, some some of these guys, I'm sure, could have been big time, yep. you know, at, at, yep. at the time being interviewed. But he's a good guy. And I'm sure he gets that, you know, hey, look, not everybody probably knows who I am. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. And for anybody that didn't see it, he he was interviewed on a Boston TV station about a, a nor'easter that they had, a snowstorm, and basically said, look, I'm from Canada. This isn't that big of a deal. And he was portrayed as just Jerome Ginla, hockey dad, right? Like that's all he was introduced as is just a, a fan on the street without realizing who he was. And, you know, I worked in a newsroom for years, right? I can tell you there are a lot of people who worked on the news side know nothing about the athletes. They know they know the teams. <laughs> they don't recognize names. They're yeah. certainly not going to recognize faces. So I can see how they can happen. But you would have to think somebody in the newsroom, considering you know he did play for Boston at one he point did. too, he did. recently, wouldn't would have just looked at it and go, 
hey, that looks a little familiar. Anybody know this guy? But hey, it's uh, and all in good fun. And you know, I, I've interviewed Jerome McGinley a few times uh, during my career. He is the best. I mean, he you, you want to talk about somebody who just loves talking to the media, enjoys talking to me, understood what it meant to talk to the media. Jerome McGinley, top notch, Hall of Fame player. Hall of Flame person. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that you mentioned, I mean, he is somebody that epitomized being a power forward. Could score a ton of goals, yep. but he was tough. Physical, of course, Lightning fans remember the, the memorable fight with Vinny LeCavalier back in the Stanley Cup final. But he was a guy that you didn't want to mess with him too much because he could handle himself. And you don't yep. typically see guys who have scored over 500 goals in their careers that can do that, but he was one of them. He, had, he played with a, an edge, as they say, but he was... Um, he was an elite goal scorer. There's no doubt about it. Almost one of the last true power forwards, right? Like we we define power forwards much differently now than when Jerome McGinley broke into the league. Like we think of Alex Kalorn as a power forward. Jerome McGinley was an old school power forward because, as you mentioned, you don't want to mess with him because he can handle himself. He's more than willing to drop the gloves uh, with anybody. We certainly memorable moment, as you referenced there, back in the 2004 Stanley Cup uh, final against the Calgary Flames. Um, he, he was, he was a tough dude and, and it's amazing. Again, hockey players, as tough as he was on the ice, he was just this, he's just a great person off the ice. Always had a smile, no matter where you, you know, where you came across to Roman Ginley, he always has a smile for everybody. Uh, But uh, in terms of the way he played on the ice, definitely old school power forward, probably the, the most They'll probably last of that breed, uh, unless one of the Kachuk brothers uh, fits that mold. It's a good now. point. Would you say Tom Wilson's in that category? Yeah, except for Tom Wilson's not going to be a 500 goal no, scorer, right? No, no, no. Right, not. like he can score 15 goals, but you know, when when we think of the the the, the power forwards, it's the guys who could score 35, 40 goals, and certainly again, they hit the 50 goal mark, and you know, won a Rocket Richard Trophy one year, and you know, but I mean, Tom Wilson is definitely a power forward. Uh, and he has that old school grit, but he doesn't have the scoring touch that I think, you know, when I think of true power forwards back in the day that have it. Now, Brady Kachuk could end up being that type of guy because he's somebody you don't want to mess with around the net and he's capable of scoring. Matthew Kachuk is kind of that way as well. Uh, but again, their dad was an old school power forward in, in Keith Kachuk. So, um, but I, yeah, I, I don't think Tom Wilson is is the old school power forward. Milan Lucic probably was. Along those at lines, his height, yeah, at, at his, his height, height, I think he was he was a pretty dominant power forward, and then you know I think that type of style I think wears on you. And he's not the fastest guy, and as we know today's NHL, it's a little bit different game. So you're right. I mean, it's I mean, boy, you think of Eric Lindros, you know, big body guy could uh, so Eric, um, uh, who was his uh, his mate for all those years, John yep. Leclaire. You know, yep. I think he was a a really good power forward, but again, the game evolves, and very rarely do you see a guy with a lot of size, but has the hands uh, as yep. well to to keep up and and put up those numbers. But really interesting conversation when you start talking about that type of player in today's game. We just don't see too many of those players. Nope, we don't. It's definitely a dying breed. Uh, as the game has changed and it's evolved in, in many different ways, um, and that's one of them. We don't have those type of power forwards uh, too much. Because a, a lot of it is because the fighting element has really been taken out of the game in a lot of aspects. So uh, that's why I think you probably don't have many. That's why the Kachucks are old school. They they are they're a throwback to that era. I don't think there's too many players that are going to be able to combine uh, that toughness though with the scoring ability. But um, 
good stuff, though. Good stuff from Jerome McGillan. If anybody hasn't seen it, go check out the clip. Uh, I've seen it more than a few times on Twitter as it was making the rounds today, but it was just awesome. Sportsnet picked up on it, too. Uh, so it was just great to see. Uh, what we hope will also be great to see is a 2020-21 season, which will eventually be just a 2021 season. Uh, we still don't have a date. We still don't have a plan. We still don't have an idea. And it's amazing, Greg, that we're sitting here in the middle of December, early parts of December, and we know that the NBA has their schedule. They just released part of their schedule earlier uh, this week, uh, the Toronto-Tampa Raptors. We know that they'll be using, utilizing Amelie Arena, but we still don't know if the Tampa Bay Lightning or when the Tampa Bay Lightning will try and defend their Stanley Cup championship at Amelie Arena because we don't have a plan for how the season's going to look. It probably shouldn't surprise anybody considering the uh, history of the NHL and the NHLPA when they negotiate these things. But I'm still surprised we're sitting here in the early parts of December. We don't have a plan in place. So I'm I on the surface, I would agree with you. I think behind the scenes, and this is just an opinion, I have no idea how factual this statement is or is not. I, I do think they have an idea of what they want to do. I think as soon as the... The two sides can come to an agreement on whatever they're negotiating. I know there's there's been some talk, some chatter uh, on Twitter uh, in terms of uh, what they're negotiating, whether it's escrow, whether it's players having to give up a little bit more, whether it's the owners finding ways to come up with more revenue to pay the players. I think all of that eventually will be ironed out because, as we know, not playing this year is not an option. It's just not. Correct. Now, now whether... Whether there are fans in the stands, that can be debated. I think there needs to be. Doesn't mean it has to be full capacity from the start. But I, you can't. You have to be playing this year, considering what happened the previous year. And I, I think both sides understand that. There's some really smart people who are lawyers on both sides that are trying to to hammer this out. I think once they get the finances down between the two sides, the players and the league, and, and who has to give up what or maybe who doesn't, then I think that February 1st that we've heard leaked at times in the media from different general managers and owners, I think that come, comes into play. I think you'll see you know, a pretty short training camp. I don't even know how many preseason games there will be. Again, this is just an opinion. But I'm still looking at February 1st when things get going, which means training camp happens maybe mid to late January. And, you know, you have to get things done by what's that date in, what is it, July? Is it June? Yeah, July? I mean, 15th, 18th, whatever, whenever the Tokyo Olympics are scheduled to so start. So you need that. That's your deadline. And yep. you're not going to be playing a full 82-game season. I think we all acknowledge that. But I, th- I think they're actually – they're waiting for those two sides to figure out and come to an agreement because I, I think they have to have some of that groundwork already done because once those two sides come to an agreement, you got to get this thing going. You got to get it up and running. You, you do, and, and I agree. I mean, there's been plenty of discussions going on behind the scenes. There hasn't been a whole lot of public uh, back and forth as we typically see in negotiations between the NHL and the NHLPA, but the big contention point has been leaked out, and that is, you know, the owners are basically asking the players for more financial concessions. This is on top of, and let's remember, this is not a labor 
situation. I mean, it is, but it's not like the lockout situation. This is not 0405. This is not 2012-13. There was no CBA in place. That's why the owners could lock out the players, and there was no season until, well, there wasn't one in 0405, and it was a January start in 2012-2013. There is a CBA in place. They negotiated this back in the summer, which included this return to play that gave us the playoffs, that gave us a 2020 Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup championship team. It's in place. It's written. And in that CBA, it already says that the the players are giving back 20% to escrow, which is a lot higher than they used to because they know the financial ramifications that are taking place in the league and and the teams and everything else. They've also agreed to defer 10% of their salaries that will be paid back to them over time. And now the owners are asking for a little bit more, which is basically – telling the players you're only going to get 40% or 60% of your salary this year. You're going to have to give back 40%. That's the big hang-up. As it always is, money is the big issue here. But there will be a season. There has to be a season because at the end of this season, guess what's up for negotiation? TV deal. NBC's contract runs out at the end of this year. There's lots of talk about how – This negotiation, this TV negotiation is going to set the bar for the NHL. It's going to be the highest it's ever been. It's probably going to be on multiple platforms. We already know ESPN is going to be a player in this. NBC wants to retain them, uh, retain the rights as well. So with all that in play, they will find a way to come to an agreement. Uh, And I think you're right. I think a lot of the groundwork has already been put into place. The thing is, is that when you had the lockout, and most recently in 12-13, when they came to agreement, you could start things, bang, within days of that, um, everything coming together. And, and you know, the, the CBA, not written at that point, but the agreement in place. You could start things right away. You can't do that now. You've got players in Europe who have to come back, and when they do, they have to quarantine. You still have the border situation in place in Canada where anybody coming into the country has to quarantine for 14 days. The time is ticking. The clock is ticking. It, it, it will probably pass due even to get to a mid-January training camp. And we're actually hearing you know, mid-January start of the season, maybe started uh, training camp in January. On top of that, you have these seven teams that did not make the playoffs – that have been told they could have an extended training camp because you've had their players that haven't done anything for 10 right. months now, 11 months. You know, By the time they get to the, the training camp, it's going to be close to a year before they've done anything. So there are a lot of logistical issues that can't just happen on a dime. And we haven't seen officially what the divisions are going to look like. I feel like we've seen so many speculation and speculative standings from certain people in the media. It almost feels like it's real. But they that's the other thing, too, that they have to – Figure out because the talk has been a Canadian teams are going to be in one section and then, you know, whether it's geographically or however they want to go about divvying up the other divisions, that that's probably going to have to be something that is is talked about. And then, you know, you're going to have to talk about some sort of, I think, bubble scenario. Maybe that's part of the holdup, too, in all of this. I know the players don't want to do it. But there is going to have to be a little bit more give and take here for both sides. Now, maybe the players' union will look at this and say, look, financially, we've already given up more than we're willing to do. Maybe they concede a little bit on doing bubbles a bit more. I know that was something they didn't want to do. But if that means not having to give up more of your pay, and then for the owners, maybe it's something where they look at this and say, look, we can't come back unless – we open things up at least 25% capacity. 
we need to start bringing in some money. If the players aren't going to give up more, and that's their right to do that, then the owners have to look at this and say, what are ways we can raise revenue? Are you going to raise ticket prices during this time? Probably not. One way you could alleviate maybe some of the burden is to get people into the stands. And maybe that's part of the negotiation here, E, with everybody involved. It's possible. We, we know how much the NHL is gate-driven. Uh, I think Gary Bettman was even on record saying uh, at least 40% of NHL hockey-related revenue comes from ticket sales. Uh, that's a big chunk to not be there. And the other thing is, is you have certain markets like here in Florida, you can have 20, 25% capacity. I mean, hell, we're about to host the Super Bowl in a couple of months uh, with a limited capacity. But then you have places like where San Jose plays in Santa Clara County in California. The San Francisco Giants had to move. They have to practice in Oakland. And they have to play through games in Arizona right now because Santa Clara County will not allow any of those types of gatherings. So then you have that comes into play. So you have certain markets that can make a little bit of money off of ticket sales and you have some that couldn't. It's it's a bizarre situation. Um, you know, I, I know the bubble idea is out there. Uh, you know, we know that Tampa and Amelie Arena has been rumored to be a location where they would bring in four or five teams and play you know, X number of games over a couple of weeks period, they would go back to their markets and then they, you know, meet in another little mini bubble uh, and do it that way. That has not been thrown out the door. I think the idea is to have these teams play in their home arenas, though, um, for nothing else that even with TV contracts, you have local sponsors. And if you're, say, the St. Louis Blues, who are rumored to be in a division with Tampa Bay this coming year, and you're you can't play in St. Louis, but you have to come and play in a bubble in Tampa. Well, guess what? You don't have your markings on the board. You don't have your markings on the ice to sell those advertising. That comes into play as well. I mean, there's so much unusual about this and what else isn't uh, in this 2020 year. Um, but yeah, they have to find way. They have to be, I guess, creative in some ways for some of these teams to find different ways to bring in revenue um, outside of ticket sales because we know that that's a big chunk of it uh, when it comes to NHL revenue. Yeah, and I, I know you know the vaccine talk has been thrown out there that the fact that you know there's been a couple of companies who have come to the forefront and you know it looks like we could be getting a vaccine maybe before the year ends or early next year. I think that certainly would be something that would speed up the process in terms of getting everybody back playing and even having, you know, fans uh, in attendance. I mean, I, you also have the option too of, of the waiver situation. And I think that's something that I know I discussed on lightning power play. And I, I'm sure we discussed that even when we were doing the shows is that, you know, I think I saw what Ticketmaster is now. I don't know if they're going to require people to sign a waiver, but I think that's maybe the route they're going that if you want to go to an event, you know, you're probably, as a fan, you're going to have to take that risk yourself. And if you're willing to go and, and spend the money and go watch, let's say I'm using the lightning for an example, then you sign a waiver, you go in, and, you know, maybe it's filled to 20 25% capacity. The lightning are covered because the fans have signed a waiver, so nobody is liable for, you know, any type of illness that one picks up. And, you know, the owners get an opportunity to make some money that way. So... I do think with the vaccine coming, I think better understanding of COVID for a lot of people, the harsh reality that, to your point, the the NHL needs that gate revenue desperately, and the one way to do that is obviously to get the fans in, 
Yeah. And I think you're just going to see a lot of lawyers being busy for each team <laughs> to make sure you have the right waiver written up so that when fans do come in, you are covered in case something does happen. Yeah, and, and we have a test market here, in or the Lightning, I guess, in some ways have an opportunity to test that. We still haven't heard, as we sit here and talk right now, with the Raptors and their season starts, what, the 22nd? I don't know when the first. I haven't seen the NBA schedule, so I don't know when the exact first game at Amelie Arena for the Raptors is scheduled to be. But will they sell tickets? Will they allow some fans in the stands? We know there's been no events in the building since March, right? And we know that's the lifeblood of the arena. Uh, and Jeff Finnick has been a, a fantastic owner and, and everything he's done for the employees. And, you know, it took for them, what, nine, ten months to start to lay people off, which is not the same situation as some other teams around the league. But if they had the opportunity to sell 20% capacity tickets to an NBA game, would people go? Would they sign waivers? Because I'm sure that those waivers are already – ready to go in the event that they have to do this because it's coming up quick. We know the Lightning are always prepared for everything. So they have an opportunity to test what that might look like on a limited basis with the NBA playing some games at Amelie Arena and then gear that up for the NHL, which is still probably at least it's a minimum month away from playing any hockey games at Amelie Arena. Yeah, and I, I think I, I think actually I don't want to speak for most fans, but I think you're going to have a, a certain section of people that are going to want to take in the games. I think they're going to, A, look for something to do because of the last 10 months have been, I think for a lot of people, been pretty miserable being locked in for the most part. And I think if you have an opportunity to go see a team who just won the Stanley Cup in your hometown play, I think you're easily going to see people go to the arena and take on that risk. Because as I said before, I think a lot of people now, more so than they were when this virus first hit, they're more um, in tune to what's happening and the ramifications and you know the different treatments out there. So I think everybody's uh, better educated on all of uh, what's happening around us. And I do think if the owners open it up to having fans come and watch their teams play... I think I, I I mean again I'm just I'm guessing here but I, I don't think you'd have a problem filling 20 to 25 percent I don't think you would either because the bucks have done it right and now I know that's an outdoor arena it's a little bit of a different situation when it comes to you know uh, ventilation and everything like that but the bucks have done it um, you know they've they've had a small capacity of fans in the in the stands I, I just got an email from uh, us men's soccer who was scheduled to have a friendly down in the Fort Lauderdale area this month, you know, about their limited capacity. They can have some fans in the stands. And, um, you know, so it, 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 it's out there. And I think you're right. I think there are – I don't think they would have a problem, you know, putting 20% capacity in the building. The question is going to be do you – does because the demand might be higher, do you jack the prices up a little bit higher and, and try and make a little bit of extra revenue? Do you keep it lower? Uh, in order to kind of, you know, give those who are in there something to, I, I don't know, it's like a, there's a delicate balance there between trying to bring in some revenue but also not, I, I guess, take advantage of you know of do? some people who have maybe been out of work for a yeah, while. Yeah, I think, I look, Jeff Finnick's going to make that decision and, and it's going to be the best decision for the Tampa Bay Lightning. What I would do for people that would take on the quote-unquote risk of coming to a game I would entice, entice them with some maybe partial season plan tickets down the road, you know, some packages. And, yeah. you know, maybe that's one of the ways that not only you can make money now, 
but you can insure some more money moving forward down the road to protect yourself. And, you know, maybe people that are willing to come to the opener or, you know, they they purchase their tickets for a game against the Capitals and, you know, maybe they're on the phone with a sales rep and there's a partial uh, ticket package, you know, partial season ticket package for, you know, next year that if they get in on this current deal at 20% off, that uh, they'll be locked in. And, you know, maybe some people will, would be willing to take on that risk. Again, it's it's the lightning. You're supporting a local team. And for people who have been working throughout this time that want to do something a little different, maybe this is a way to spend that extra cash that you do have or that disposable income, uh, understanding that you know there still are other places of entertainment that are uh, still restricted and, and maybe just not the same compared to where they were you know, last year, or a couple of years ago. So there may be some ways to entice people once they purchase that first ticket to maybe get them hooked on a, a better deal or better plan for a few more games in the future. Yep. Uh, totally agree. Um, I think it can be done. I think it will be done. Um, it's just a question of what, what's the capacity, what, what's the handle, what's the limit. Right. Um, I, I think the state is, well, I, well, actually, I guess the governor actually said, Hey, open it all up. But I think, uh, you know, a lot of teams are being vigilant and, and staying to the 20 to 25 percent uh, capacity limit. But, yeah, there's an opportunity there uh, to to be able to bring in some people. And, um, you know, I, it was I know you're not a soccer fan, but I'm going to bring this up again. Watching some of the Premier League games this weekend, it's the first weekend since the Premier League started back. And that includes when they concluded their, uh, you know, 2020 season. Uh, where there are some lim- limited fans in the stands, or they have tiers in London uh, or in the Premier Leagues, so in in in, uh, in England, where if you're tier one, uh, you can't have any fans. If you're tier two, you can have this certain percentage of fans, and if you're tier three, you can have a little bit higher uh, percentage of fans. Nobody is in the tier three range. Uh, a lot of the teams are in tier two, and there are some teams who are in tier one. But I was just watching a couple of the games this weekend. Uh, it felt, and I know some have piped in artificial noise. But it felt right to hear, at least hear some real noise in the fans. I think listening to some of the interviews, the the post game interviews, I think the players and the coaches have felt that as well. And boy, I'm looking forward to hearing that in in a hockey game to have some some cheering after what we heard uh, during the uh, the the playoffs in empty buildings in Toronto and Edmonton. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some cheering in the fan uh, in the stands once again to have at least some capacity of people back in the building. It makes what Tampa Bay did even more remarkable. I, I yep. think to win without any fans in the building, but I mean, I think everybody would agree that particularly during the regular season when it's just a grind. You know, if you can get your fans behind you to give you a little bit more lift, maybe when your your legs are not working that particular night, I think it's just tremendous. And then, of course, obviously, playoff hockey, there's nothing better. But, you know, Tampa Bay, again, the mental toughness that we saw last year with no fans in the building to be able to win the way they did was, was pretty remarkable. But I, I think anybody would just you get a little bit of a boost playing in front of uh, your audience. And I, I think we all want to finally see some people boo and, and cheer. And I think the players do too. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. Yeah, I, I think we're all longing for it. Um, there is some hockey though. You know, there are, some college teams that are back, uh, including University of Minnesota, which has Sammy Walker, who's a Lightning 
prospect on it. Um, you know, the World Juniors is scheduled to take place in Edmonton uh, starting on Christmas Day. Uh, there are some potential Lightning players involved in that. Uh, Hugo Alnefelt, uh, goaltender for Sweden, uh, was named to the preliminary roster. Um, Gage Gonclavis, who was a draft pick this year, is in camp for Team Canada. Uh, he's a long shot to make it, but uh, he is in camp with them. And uh, this strange camp, they actually had to shut down their camp for two weeks because of uh, a couple of players and, and coaches testing uh, positive for COVID. So they had to put the kibosh on a couple of things. Uh, so we will have some hockey at least to watch on TV, especially the World Juniors, um, which should be a lot of fun if they can get to it. It's kind of like what we talked about with the NHL. Just get to the bubble safe. Just get to the bubble safe, then you can make it work because they are actually going to be in a bubble atmosphere in Edmonton. They're going to use the same facilities that the NHL used. Uh, so there will at least, in the short term, be some hockey to watch and some lighting prospects to watch, which uh, at least will give us something to kind of look forward to from a hockey perspective. You know what? You brought up a, an interesting, I think, talking point is when play does resume because we're we're seeing, I, I think, in, in many ways, the ridiculousness with college football and the NFL is, you know, a few players are getting COVID and then all of a sudden you're switching the games and you're – you're delaying yep. games, and, and it, that becomes a little bit of a hassle. And I think some people, and rightfully so, I think it's a good point. Uh, at, at least uh, it's worth talking about that, you know, with the way COVID reacts to most healthy people, uh, you end up recovering. And eventually, are we going to treat this just like a player gets the flu? And that if a player can't play because he's got the flu, well, he doesn't play. We're not going to change and switch the schedule because maybe five or ten players are out with the flu i mean when that used to happen you'd just be like all right well they got to call up guys and and yep. you know that's just how it is i mean i i think the way this to me the way i'm looking at it is i think everybody's being very cautious and i i understand that but eventually we're gonna have to look at this and say when play does resume i think maybe part of the going on behind the scenes and part of the talk would be for me at least is okay guys listen if we've got the lightning and we've got the capitals playing tonight and five or ten players test positive for tampa bay and the same for the capitals what are we going to do are are we going to expand the rosters are you going to cancel games what if you cancel games for that whole week and now a short season now becomes shorter are you going to crunch those games late in the year when you know you're up against the deadline because of the Olympics coming up soon. I mean, I, I think there's going to have to, and this could be part of what the players are, are willing to negotiate and maybe willing to give up or willing not to concede at all, is that if you get a couple of players that do test positive, what does that mean for the game that night? Um, and are you going to allow for a few extra players on that roster to prevent massive cancellations across the league and as we know e they have to get all of these games in or most of these games in before that certain deadline in the summer yeah and I, and I guess what the nhl has working in its favor is that they've seen how other leagues have done it right you Absolutely. got a taste of how major league baseball handled it when they had some situations with the marlins and the cardinals uh, especially early on uh, when they had to 
cancel and move games around and everything like that. And then you have the situation with the NFL where, and it's a different situation with the NFL. They have such a bigger roster uh, with 50 plus players and the coaching staff. And, you know, but, but I think one thing that, it, that has shown us through the way major league baseball handled it. And when the way the NFL has handled it, when the protocols are followed, there's ways to avoid outbreaks and there's ways to avoid cancellation. We know that the Ravens did not follow protocols and that's why they had such a massive outbreak because um, you know they had too many people in, in close contact with each other same thing with the Denver Broncos when they all their quarterbacks were ruled out because they were um, you know in the same room with one of the players who tested positive the protocols can work you have to make the protocols work and when you do you don't you won't run into a logistical nightmare so I think that's one thing that they have working for them and to your point about what would you do if two or three players basically get this and what does it mean for that night's game I think that's a big part of this it's not being reported um, is the negotiation for what would you do in those scenarios? Because let's look at the Vancouver Canucks as an example. Obviously, they're based in Canada. They're in Western Canada. Their top AHL team is in Utica, New York. You can't, like if you get a player, it, it, even that's injured, you can't call up a player from Utica and bring him into your roster, right? They have to follow the quarantine rules of the Canadian government. So there's that issue at play, and they've actually explored the possibility of moving their AHL affiliate to a Canadian market, and it's just not financially feasible to be able to do something like that. So they're not going to—they're not uh, looking at that. So I think they're going to have to have expanded rosters for this year, and maybe this is something else that the owners are talking about. Look, okay, you want us to carry 27 players? Well, that's four players more than we're used to carrying, which means it's four salaries more than we're used to carrying. Um, you know, so you have to kind of give us some concessions to help pay for that, to help cover the cost of additional players. Because I, I think no matter what this season is going to look like, I think you have to have expanded rosters just for the reasons you brought up. Um, and I'm, I'll be interested to see when they finally do get a, a plan in place to return, if that's a big well, part of this. And I tell you what, if a team violates protocol and there's a massive outbreak, more so than players they have on their roster to to play that night then maybe you're talking about a forfeit maybe yeah. you're talking about a forfeit no, the, because, the ravens were close to that i mean yeah i mean because, you, because that's how ridiculous it was you can't say well we're gonna play sunday night move it to monday move it to tuesday then move it to what wednesday at 3 30 in the afternoon yeah. i mean Maybe it's a little bit different scheduling-wise when it comes to the NHL. I, whatever. They're, you can figure out the logistics there. What I'm telling you is these are professionals, and part of being a professional is taking care of your body and, and listening and, and making sure that you're prepared to play that night. Yep. If, the, if the rule in place for this year is no player can venture out of the bubble past whatever hour or have anybody else come into the bubble that's not on a list that we were given before – the game that night, then you forfeit or you start yep. taking away draft picks. And I don't want to be that guy, but if you're serious about getting this season through and you don't want to have this massive scheduling conflict, maybe you're just really strict with the rules that you have. I agree. I think you have to be strict. And that's where I think that the NHL can learn lessons from MLB and from the NFL, you know, and then the NBA is about to go through it too. Like you've already seen a number of players reporting back to camp that, you know, they've got positive tests and, you know, so they're going to have to deal. They get a lot to go in the next couple of weeks before they can get to the start of their season. But the NHL has that advantage. 
they were the first one to successfully pull this off, and now they get to evaluate what worked for them there and then evaluate what worked for MLB, what didn't work, what's working for the NFL, what's not working, and they can kind of put that into what they want to be able to do because, uh, you know, it, it's one thing to move around one NFL game and you know, obviously the Steelers-Ravens game was supposed to be Thanksgiving night, and then it was pushed to Sunday, and then it was pushed to Monday, and then it was Tuesday, and then finally got played on Wednesday. Um, you know, you can't do that in an NHL schedule. You can't you can't do that. Uh, I know MLB had to kind of move things around, but guess what? Major League Baseball can play double headers. Can't play double header in the NHL. So there are certain things that they're not going to be able to work with uh, no matter what they come into to play with. But um, either way, we know that there's going to be something – uh, that's going to have to be put in place, and I and I'm with you. I think there needs to be some strict protocols. Uh, there needs to be consequences if teams don't follow them because they're there for a reason. And they've I think that we've seen in many instances that when those protocols are followed, there's no outbreaks. You might have one or two, and then you isolate, and that's how it's supposed to work, right? But if you're not going to follow those protocols, then there has to be consequences for those actions. You break the law. You gotta pay, and you gotta pay I, the price. You gotta pay the price, and yep. if we want to get things going, I think you've got to do things like that. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right, hey, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I want to get to one question, and I'm gonna help you help me answer it. Uh, we came in from a fan, but before we do, the information on the book signing, uh, it will take place on December the 17th. It's gonna take place at Brick City Eatery that's in the Lutz area. So, Greg, I expect you to be first in line on December the 17th because it's right down the street from your house. Uh, 4 to 8 p.m. I'll be there. Um, I will have books on hand. If nobody has a book, I, I will be selling books and signing them for you there. But if you also want to bring in your own book, I'll be more than happy to sign anybody who brings in a book. And as part of this deal, anybody who does come and gets a book signed – or purchases a book for me and gets it signed, you'll get 15% off any order that night from Brick City Eatery. Uh, so I want to thank Steve for uh, putting this together, helping me put this together. Uh, I've had a lot of people ask me if I could sign their book. So again, December the 17th from 4 to 8 p.m. at Brick City Eatery. It's located at 16540 Point Village Drive, Suite 108 in Lutz. Again, that's 16540 Point Village Drive, Suite 108 in Lutz on December the 17th so uh, i hope everybody can come out uh, please wear a mask as we just talked yes. about all these protocols please merit wear a mask uh, i'll be more than happy to take pictures with you uh without a mask but please bring a mask with you when you come in so we don't have uh, any any outbreaks any situations there so again december 17th from 4 to 8 p.m greg will you be there i will probably I not well you know what let me check my schedule <laughs> yes it's free and uh that, they have very good food so that that is a very I've heard that yep very good choice yep. and uh, pound some of those wingsy while you're signing some books. I will have to have to do that for sure. All right, let's get to the uh, the one question that I have. Uh, it's actually a um, a hangover uh, carryover question from the last podcast, but it's from uh, from Matthew Wheeler and and Matthew uh, was the winner of the signed autograph book. And if anybody saw my Twitter feed, this was so cool. Greg, you can relate to this. He had his daughter reading the book and tagged me in it and said nice. she's looking at pictures and going, "I remember that. Oh, I remember when that happened." <laughs> and my heart just melted because yes. uh, his daughter's his daughter's about probably about the same age as Gianna yeah. uh, is, and that was really cool. So if anybody saw that on my uh, my Twitter feed, that was really cool to see. Um, but he has the question. Uh, he asks, any chance some unsigned vets take a one-year prove-it deal like Shattenkirk and Maroon did for a real chance to go far in the playoffs and win a cup like a Michael Grabner or Anthony DeClaire? 
Um, he asked also about how the gravy train thing came about, and uh, I'll have to get into that one. But um, to answer the first question, and I'll get your thoughts on it too, Greg, will there be any vets that come in on short-term show-me deals? Because of the cap situation Tampa Bay has, I don't know if that's possible. I mean, let's face it, Kevin Shattenkirk fell into their lap last year. He got bought out by the Rangers. Um, he was So he was getting paid two-thirds of his salary from New York, so he was able to take a lower salary deal because he was double-dipping. Uh, in this case, so he can come in and have a chance to play on a team that could go far. We know the Lightning's cap situation. As we sit here and talk now, they're already just about $2 million over the salary cap. I just don't know how that's feasible. It's possible. I'm sure there'd be some guys who would like to come in. I just don't know if Tampa Bay could fit any of them in. I I, I would tend to agree. I mean, the, the only way you can see something like that happening for me is that the guys you trade – whoever comes back in return, assuming it is a player that is going to be on the roster for the, uh, the big club that maybe they're, they're a guy that's, um, you know, you're, you're looking to catch lightning in a bottle, so to speak. That's, you know, somebody who's been in the league for a long time and is willing to um, look at the situation and say, if I have to play on a third or fourth line, or, you know, if I have to be a spare defenseman, but, you know, I want to come in and, and contribute any way I can, and, and that's the motivating factor, then I could see something like that playing out. Some of that is we just don't know who's coming back, assuming they do get players back in returnee when they do trade away a couple players who we think are going to be moved. So in some ways it's hard to answer that question because we don't know exactly who's leaving and who's coming back. But on the surface, I would agree with you. I mean, I, I just don't see the financial opportunities there for the Lightning to come in and, and bring in players that not only are affordable, but also, let's face it, to me, the, the biggest factor there are guys that have something to prove. I mean, yeah. you know, Kevin Shattenkirk, to me, epitomized that. I mean, he was somebody that was a sought-after defenseman just a couple of years ago and then basically was was let go for nothing, and the Lightning certainly capitalized on that. And I think you also had a team the previous year in the Lightning that had a huge disappointment, and they were motivated to get back and win a championship. So I think that certainly played into their hands. Is it going to be really tough to repeat this year, even with a, a shortened schedule? For sure. Yeah, I mean, just look at the statistics. It doesn't happen very often. But the Lightning are a really talented team. Even if they do let go a couple of players, their goaltender is intact. Their core group of players are still intact and playing at a very high level. But it's it's really hard to win back-to-back championships, and Pat Maroon is one of the few guys in this league that's done it. And, you know, we'll see we'll see how things play out when it comes to personnel and, and how Tampa Bay starts the year I think will be pretty interesting as well. Yeah, different circumstances. Um, this is not 15 when they lost in the Stanley Cup final. Try to come back and say they had the hunger and didn't really have a lot of the hunger to start off the year. Um, you know, and, and to me, like I think any trade, any move that they have to make, we know they have to make these moves. I don't know how many players Julian Breezewalk can bring back because you're trying to alleviate cap space. So uh, I think he's going to have to bring back futures for any of these players. But I think what we have to look at and what we have to basically say is going to happen when we get to training camp and the start of the season is these players who are going to fill in these roles, they're Alex Volkov, they're Cal Foote, 
They're Alex Barry Boulay. They're these top prospects that are already knocking on the door. Those opportunities are going to be there for them. If they come in and, and have a, a training camp, have a solid training camp, and don't lose a job, I think there's opportunities for those guys to step in. Uh, and look, we know they think Alex Vol- Volkov is an NHL player. Uh, the fact that John Cooper and the staff put him into game six against Dallas shows you what they think of Alex Volkov and what he can be. I think you can pencil him in for one of those forward spots that we know are probably going to open up. Uh, I think you, you can pencil in Cal Foote as a right-handed shot defenseman because we know they're short on the right side with defensemen. So I think you know it, it's great. Veterans mean something. They bring a lot. I mean, let's not downplay what Pat Maroon meant to this team this year. Let's not downplay what Luke Shen meant to the locker room for this team this year. They're valuable pieces. I just don't know that they can fit them in. And I think at some point you have to give these opportunities to some of these younger players who you think are going to fill out some of the roles when there's no better time than right now to see if they're going to do it. And then if you have to address something when you get to the trade deadline, I think then is when you have to maybe address something like that and bring in a rental player uh, or something like that. That That's my thought on how those things are going to be approached. And I think a shortened season for a team like the Lightning is good for them because you don't have to go 82 games. I think you can yep. – quickly get into the swing of things uh, you can't afford to have uh, an off you know two to three week period because you don't have that many games to make up down the road so in many ways I think getting right to the thick of the regular season and knowing that the playoffs are, are pretty close once you come back I, I think that does help a team trying to repeat like the Tampa Bay Lightning Yep, I agree with you. Uh, and the second part of uh, Matthew's question, the the whole gravy train thing, I'll be honest, I'm not real familiar with it. I know what it is. I know it's uh, sort of their post-game celebration. Um, I, I, I'm not a big Instagram guy, and a lot of the stuff goes on on Instagram. Uh, but I think it has something to do with the, I don't know, rapper, hip-hop artist, Young Gravy, um, who's a big Tampa Bay Lightning fan. I think there's a tie-in there somewhere. Uh, forgive me if I don't know the exact <laughs> nature of it, Greg. I don't know if you have researched any of this or read any stories. As we've mentioned before, it's hard to kind of get to the heart of some of these type of things because we don't have the access that we usually have. We don't have the opportunity to be in the, in the locker room and talk to players about these things. Yeah. Everything is done over Zoom. So I think that's the story behind it, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, the only gravy I know is is the one that I use on mashed potatoes <laughs> and, and around Thanksgiving. Outside of that, you know what? We're going to have to follow up with some people and, and, and understand what's happening here. Yeah, you probably still have some of that gravy left over in your fridge, or, or did you utilize it all? You know what? Uh, we did util- utilize it all, and uh, I actually saw somebody over – um, you know, the Thanksgiving break, they brought up a really good point that, you know, Turkey is, is overrated for Thanksgiving. And the point, oh. the point he made was, when do you ever order Turkey when you go to a restaurant? Thanksgiving. Yeah. But I mean, like, yeah. it's not your go-to meal. Nope. You know, and I think a lot of people go outside the box and they do steaks and, or they do something else. They'll do chicken. But I was like, you know what? That's a good point. I mean... I like turkey. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I like the I like the sliced turkey that goes on my sandwich. Well, that's good. Yes, yeah, that is good. That's different. Yeah, that is a little uh, different, but that is good. Be, before we wrap this up, I have to ask you this question. Um, sure. You mentioned you were talking about the divisions and what they might look like, what the mm-hmm. league possibilities look like. Can you imagine an NHL where Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are not in the same division because that's how they're currently leaked to be? Yeah, to me, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Does it? I mean, no. Again, I don't. I don't know how they're 
they're going about this, but I mean, I, I think you want to keep some of those rivalries, particularly when they're so close geographically. I, I don't Same know what state. the rationale is for that. The I, the only thing I could think of is if, like, if you look at the way they're aligned, obviously we know the, the seven Canadian teams, but if you look at the other three divisions, it's basically cutoff lines. And anybody inside or outside of those lines is what the division is. So if you want to talk about a centralized type of thing, that's where Pittsburgh, being on the western part of Pennsylvania, gets lumped in with a Columbus and a St. Louis and uh, Detroit and Tampa Bay. How Miami falls into that, they're an Atlantic Coast team, I'm not sure. sure. But if you kind of look at how they divide it up geographically. But yeah, I, I agree. How can you not have Pittsburgh and yeah. Philadelphia in the same division? It makes no sense I think to it's me. just a knock on Philly saying they're dirty. Eh, it could be. Maybe that's, could very, that's could very well I mean, be. they're used to it. So. <laughs> All right, hey Greg, this was a lot of fun, man. It was is nice to kind of be back on the airways with For you sure. and uh, kind of share some ideas and share some laughs. And um, maybe we'll do this again sometime. Maybe we'll make this a regular thing. I don't know. This is still all new to me, uh, but there's been a great reaction. Uh, hopefully, we can continue to grow this, and maybe we can do this as a tandem thing uh, down the line and uh, kind of bring the band back together a little bit. But uh, that's down the road, and we'll see how things go. But I thank you for joining me. Uh, I'm glad you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure we'll talk before Christmas, but if I don't, I hope you and the and the girls and we'll Annie talk. have a great Christmas, oh, and uh, I look forward to talking to you down the line. I appreciate you having me on, e. I hope the uh, the audience enjoyed the, the good hockey talk, and uh, anytime you need me, Give me a call, buddy. I'll be here for you. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, as always, for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you pick up your podcast. Make sure you hit the five-star reviews on Apple in particular. That goes a long way to what we're trying to build here. Uh, we'll be back with another other episode. Don't forget about the book signing December 17th from 4 to 8 p.m. at Brick City Eatery in Lutz. Uh, hopefully, I'll see plenty of you guys there. Hopefully, you'll have plenty of books. I'll be able to sign them for you. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll check in with you again later. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.